together. God, we are here for you and because of you. We're coming into your presence today because we need your touch on our lives. We know that your power is great and you can work wonders in our lives no matter what's going on, what our circumstances are. Lord, we don't take for granted the opportunity to be together in your presence and receive from you, Lord. So we're ready. We're expecting you to do something in our lives today, God. We're expecting you to move mountains and to speak truth through lies, God. We know that you are in control, that you love us, and you've brought us here for a purpose today. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. Come on, 11 o'clock service. Everyone said amen. Amen. Hey, give your neighbor a high five and then high five your other neighbor and tell them you're my second choice. Man, what a great time just worshiping the Lord together. One of the things about our church, if you've never um, been here before, maybe you're new, is you have to understand how dedicated we are to reaching the next generation. We're grateful to be a generation that's been chosen by God and called to make a difference in the world. And we know that if we're not reaching the next generation, then we're not living up to what God's called us to do. And so that's why we invest uh, heavily into our kids and student ministries. Um, know that when you give and when you bring your tithes and offerings to the Lord, it's going largely towards reaching the next generation so that they go out into this world prepared, knowing the Lord, knowing truth, and being uh, prepared, ready to serve him. In this world, which tells a lot of different things, is there's a lot of different options, and they'll tell our young people um, things that will set them on a path that they don't want to go, but we want them to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So I wanted to introduce you today, um, our new youth pastor, Giovanni Cedeno. Let me welcome up up here. Give him your best welcome. Hello, my name is Giovanni, and I'm, I'm excited to be here today. Um, I'm all the way from Chicago, so I'm loving this weather right now. Um, but thank you so much, Pastor Ryan and staff, for allowing me to be here. And just for serving your students, um, I'm here to serve you guys in any type of way uh, possible. I'm, I love food, so if you want to invite me over to your house for dinner as well, that, that's another thing. But thank you guys so much. I'll be outside in the, uh, the youth booth, so if you want to talk to me and introduce myself to you. Thank you again. Awesome. And he's getting married next month. So sorry, ladies, going off the market. (laughs) Hey, we're starting a new series this morning um, in the book of Galatians. And if you haven't been to this church before, or maybe you're new and you don't really know what we're all about, this is a Bible church. We're really uh, into the Bible and we teach from the Bible. That's where we get our guidance. That's where we get truth. It's not really from someone's opinion. It's from what we believe is the word of God. It's the, the message that God's given us proclaiming his plan for humanity and how we can know him and receive his love. So the word of God is so important. And I love the letter of Galatians. This is perhaps one of the greatest letters in the New Testament, in my opinion. I think it's one of my favorites. Galatians has been called the charter of Christian freedom. Kind of like we have in America, our declaration of independence. This is our declaration of freedom in Christ. It's good to be free, right? If you're free, sometimes you just got to shout about it, right? Like, where's my Braveheart fans? Yeah, we got some Braveheart type people in here. Come on, I know that you want to. On the count of three, one, two, three. 
Freedom! Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's what this book is about. It's about the freedom that we have in Christ. Now, here's where this book comes from. I want to give you just a quick background. Is Paul, on his first missionary journey, he traveled around the Middle East and he was teaching people about Jesus. Now, different types of people. There were the Gentiles who did not know uh, God as a Jew. And so the great thing about Jesus was he made it possible for even the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, um, to be saved through Jesus Christ. So Paul is teaching Gentiles and Jews about Jesus, and he was bringing what we know as the gospel, the good news. Gospel means good news. What he did is, as an apostle, what that means is he would come into a city, he would tell people about Jesus, the gospel. That, here's, what, here's the gospel, are you ready? It's that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We can't do anything to fix that. But God, he made a way where there was no way. He sent Jesus to bridge the gap between mankind and God. Jesus, his death on the cross made it possible for us to be restored to God in relationship through Jesus Christ. And that this is a free gift from God, a gift which you simply receive. How amazing is that? It's amazing grace. Aren't you grateful for that gift? Come on, you just gotta give God praise. If that doesn't excite you, you need to check your pulse. So as an apostle, Paul would preach. He would set up a church. He would raise the church up. He would get it nice and healthy. And then when it was in good shape, he would leave. He'd go to the next church. He'd leave a local pastor there in place. And he would go start again from scratch. That's what apostles did. And then what he would do is he's kind of like this spiritual father over all these churches. And he would circle back around. And he'd be like, how are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? And sometimes there'd be problems in these churches, just like we have problems today. People would get confused. They would sometimes struggle with things. They would sometimes get caught up in things that weren't really good for them. And Paul, he would sometimes go visit them or he would write them letters and say, what you doing? Right? And he would, he would try to correct their incorrect thinking or behavior and he would encourage them. And that's what Galatians is. It's a letter to the region of Galatia, which was made up of several cities like Lystra and Iconium and Derby. You can read about in the book of Acts. He's correcting some incorrect behavior and thinking. So here's where we're at. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you have a Bible app, you can open it. You're allowed to use your phone in church to read the Bible and post on social media. I'm just going to go ahead and give you permission to do that. So here's what it says. Paul, that's his identity, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia and East Mesa because it's for you too, okay? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. I'm already excited. Yes. He's just telling us right up front, like that's the good news, that Jesus rescued us from sin. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In every other letter that Paul writes, the next thing he does, his opening statement is always a statement of encouragement, where he says, I love you guys. I'm so proud of you. I just love you. I love me some you. You're my boy. That's my girl. 
I love, I, I'm so thankful for you and all the great things that God is doing through you. And that is not what happens in the book of Galatians. Here's the next verse, verse six. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And that's the title of this message. No other gospel. Gospel. It means good news. The good news that comes from Jesus Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection is that we can be saved from sin and it's through grace. And we simply receive this gift by trusting, believing in Jesus, that he is who he said he was and he did what the Bible says that he did. And we receive this freedom through Jesus. Now, what I've noticed throughout history and even in my life, is that anytime someone is free, there's always someone else who wants to take away that freedom. Right. Isn't there? Right. It's like as soon as you get the keys to a car, someone's coming telling you about a curfew. You got to come back. <laughs> like, why? I think about, you know, our, our country started really um, in a quest for freedom in 1776 when the Declaration of Independence was signed. A bunch of guys mad over a tax on tea. That Boston Tea Party, maybe you remember this from school. And, and really, if you look at it in history, relatively speaking, it was a very, very small tax. And what's interesting is back in that day, uh, people in the colonies here in America, they were the least taxed people in the world, basically. They paid, on average, about $100 a person per year in today's money in taxes. How many of you would say, I'll take that deal? <laughs> Right? Like some of you guys are paying 35, 39% in taxes and, and you, don't, you don't even know what happened. And I think our founding fathers, they'd be shocked if they saw today how some of our liberties get slowly taken away from us and, you know, our tax rates go higher and higher. They would have been mad. Okay? But I'm not here to complain about that. I just think it's interesting that they saw this restriction, this taxation without representation as a violation of the freedom that was given by God. And they weren't standing for it. Even a little tax was not okay. Just like Paul, he is not okay with someone imposing even a little bit of false teaching and even a little bit of perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when Paul came and he taught people about Jesus and he built the church up and he got them all healthy and, and they're, they're on top of the world and they're crushing it and you know they're in service, they're singing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. And he's like, I'm gonna sneak out and go to the next town. And then what happened was not long after he left, this group of people came to the towns in this region of Galatia specifically and they started teaching some other things different than what Paul had taught. Now, here's what they were teaching. These guys who came, they believed in Jesus Christ, but they were Jews. And what they wanted was for the new Christians in Galatia to keep believing in Jesus, but also practice all the Jewish customs. So they wanted to turn these, these new Christians. They said, you need to be Jews also and believe in Jesus. It's good that you believe in Jesus. Great. But you also need to be a Jew. You also need to follow these customs. Now, how many of you know that anytime you take Jesus and you add any other requirement to him, you have ended up with a false gospel? What Paul says is no other gospel at all. There is no other gospel. This is a no gospel. Paul calls these guys Judaizers. 
And what they wanted specifically uh, was to get um, these new Christians in Galatia to practice circumcision. Yeah, how many of you... Now, if you're, if you're young and you're in this service instead of in kids' church and you don't know what circumcision is, ask your mom, okay? <laughs> and so I think there were, there were some uh, Christians in the church in Galatia, and they're like, well, I mean, if we have to, to get saved, I guess we will. And there are some other guys who are going like, wait, this can't be right, you know? <laughs> like, they're like writing Paul. They're sending it overnight like, bro, help us out. There's some craziness going on up in here. How many of you are so glad that we do not require circumcision in G101? Amen? Welcome to the church. Welcome to Christianity. Get ready. <laughs> All the guys would skip it. Be like, baby, you go ahead. I'll wait on the car. You go find out what all the serving's about, right? We don't require it. And it wasn't required for these guys either. The Christians, they didn't need to practice this Jewish custom, which was to be circumcised on the eighth day of your life, um, which is a great time to get circumcised when you don't remember it. You know what I'm saying? Paul is saying that, no, 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 that's not right. It's not that you have to believe in Jesus and do anything else. It's just that you believe in Jesus. There's no other gospel. There's only one good news, one gospel, and that's all. In Christianity, there's only good news and bad news. There's very, very bad news, and there's very, very good news. Nothing in between. There's no, there's no other kind of good news. Like if you went to the doctor and he said, you know, hey, bad news is your heart's given out and you don't have long to live. You're like, what's the good news? I just save 15% on car insurance by switching to Geico. <laughs> like, that's not good news. And the doctor would be like, yeah, it's kind of good for me, you know. That's a great, there's no kind of good news in Christianity. There's only really good news that you believed in Jesus and that you're saved by grace. And there's really bad news that without him, you're in trouble. So here's what Paul says. He says in verse 6, I'm astonished. Another translation says, I'm shocked. Another translation says, I marvel at the fact that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Now, if you understand how, how serious this language is, it's the kind of the old school equivalent of him being like, child, please. What are you doing? Right? That's what he's saying. Like, what are you doing? He says, you have deserted. Like, in the military sense, you have betrayed. You have defected. You are committing treason against God. You have revolted against the one who called you to live in grace. And this is active language. He says, the road that you're going on, here's what he's saying. You are actively choosing to remove yourself from a relationship with God by abandoning the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, to re-embrace the law which had kept you in chains before. Now here's what he goes on to say as this passage continues. He says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel or from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So that means like let them be um, set apart for destruction by God. He goes on to repeat himself. And any time that scripture repeats itself, you should really pay attention. Because they're really trying to drive something home. And he says, as we have already said, so now I say again. 
If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is serious language. Paul is upset. He's like, I came in, I preached the gospel, and someone else is coming in, and they are messing it up, and you guys are falling for it. He's like, don't take any other gospel from anyone else. See, our enemy, Satan, what he wants to do is twist and pervert salvation. He wants to keep you from understanding the good news of Jesus because he knows that if he can twist your understanding of Jesus and he can keep you from salvation, then nothing else you do will really matter. If you don't understand salvation and accept Jesus for who he truly is, all the good deeds in the world are empty and meaningless. You can help a thousand old ladies cross the street. You can go dig a hundred wells in Africa and it doesn't matter. You will not earn yourself one ounce of favor with God. But if you do understand the gospel and get salvation, then no other attack from the enemy will ultimately prevail against you. That's good news. Yes. Go ahead and just give God praise. Yeah. Embrace it. If you're one of those people that you're like, are we supposed to clap now? Like the answer is yes, always. Just go ahead. It says in 2 Peter chapter 2, a similar warning. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. There will be False teachers, and there are false teachers who will go around, they'll sound very smart and very educated and very intelligent, and they'll say things that bring destruction. They twist the truth. Here's, how, here's one way that you can recognize false teachers. False teachers attack your identity. Write that down if you're taking notes. False teachers will attack your identity. First, they start by attacking the identity of Jesus Christ. And they'll say, Jesus is not really the son of God. They'll say, Jesus was a good guy. He was a nice teacher. He was even a prophet. He was even a man of God, but he was not God in the flesh. Just a subtle attack of his identity. That's what the Pharisees did when Jesus walked the earth. And that's what false teachers do today. False teachers, they attacked the identity of Paul, the apostle. And that's why in this letter, he spends a good amount of time defending his credentials as an apostle. Here's what he said. I did not receive this gospel from men, nor from a man. I did not print my degree off the internet. I received this truth from Jesus Christ himself. That's where I get my right to preach. False teachers, they will attack your identity as a Christian. And they'll say, no, 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 you missed it. You believed what the Bible said, and that's a nice start. But we've got another gospel. We've got a better truth. Or they might even just tell you, like, you can't trust what the Bible says. It's full of inconsistencies. You can't trust what they teach. And they'll attack your identity. They'll say, you're not a real Christian unless you do this. Unless you join our club. Unless you do what we tell you to do. They'll attack your identity. And false teachers will always pervert God's grace. They will call into question how you achieve and receive salvation through Jesus. And one of the things you'll notice is you'll see these false teachers even look and sound like Christians. They'll even call themselves Christians. 
One of the things I recognize in false teachers who call themselves Christians is, to say it plainly, they just come across as incredibly snobby and legalistic. And they'll look down their nose at other people and they'll say, oh, Christians don't dress like that. That is inappropriate dress to wear to church on Sunday. God is not going to receive you into his holy of holies when you've got holes in your jeans. They'll say, Christians don't talk like that. Now, now, granted, when we get saved, one of the things that happens is God starts to change our heart, and we notice that our desires start to shift and change, and, and we'll just see that things are happening. Like, we'll start to talk differently and think differently and act differently, but we don't earn our salvation by behaving, right? They'll say, oh, we don't, we don't talk like that. That guy says he's a Christian, and then he uses foul language. We don't use such four-letter words. We don't say words like that. We say shucks. And gosh darn it. And oh dang. Right? Because that's better. Right? That's better. Not those words you use. You should use my Christian swear words. <laughs> right? They'll say, we don't watch movies like that. We would never watch TV shows like that. Anyone that watches those kind of shows, no, they must not really love the Lord our God. I don't listen to that kind of music where the beat drops, right? <laughs> Only organs and choirs, like for me. It's the snobby, legalistic Christians, but it comes from false teaching that has perverted God's grace. And here's the best way to understand God's grace. Go back to what does the Bible say? You ready? This is always our source. It's our, our guide. It's our, our touchstone of truth. When we get confused, what does the Bible say? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says this. Read this very carefully. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Amen. Let's read it again because it's so important. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, so that no one can say, I did it. I'm on top of the world. I was struggling before, but then I got my act together and I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I got myself to God. That's not what grace is. You're saved by grace. It's a gift. It's not something that you can earn. It's only something you can receive. It's so important to understand this because, ready, there are only two religions in the world. Now, some of you are right now thinking, oh, there's way more than that. You did not go to school, obviously. But let me tell you, let me explain this. There are really only two religions in the world. There is the religion of works and there is the religion of grace. Now, religion is not necessarily a bad word. It just means, by definition, a system of beliefs, okay? So the word religion is not our enemy necessarily, but just hear me here. There is a system of works, and there is a system of grace. All of the religions of the world, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, Zoroastrianism, uh, Shinto, Islam, it all falls into one group, the religion of works. And then what we believe from the Bible, Christianity, as the Bible describes it, is by itself in this other, other category as a system of grace, 
okay? So every other religion is in this category that says you can be saved. You can work your way to God. You can even maybe become a God if you can do this and this and this. Some groups have five things you gotta do. Some groups have eight things you gotta do. Some groups make you go on a mission trip for two years. And if you don't do it, you're not gonna get what you're really looking for. Christianity, on the other hand, says Jesus already has earned this salvation on your behalf. You could have never earned it, by the way. And he has given it to you as a gift. And all you do is say, I accept this. Now, here's, here's the truth. Grace is undeserved favor. It's a gift. And Satan's strategy is to twist the gifts. That's what Satan's trying to do. This has been his strategy from the very beginning. God put Adam and Eve in the garden and he said, you can eat from all the trees of the garden except this one tree. Go ahead, take your pick, the whole thing, except for this one tree. Now, maybe you've wondered, why did he put one tree there that they couldn't eat from? It was because he had to give them the choice. Otherwise, they wouldn't have free will and we would all just be robots who had no other choice than to obey God. Okay, so just so you understand, that's just a quick little side note. Okay, then Satan comes along and he twisted what God said and he asked Eve a question very subtly. He said, did God really say you could not eat from any of the trees in the garden? You're like, wait, that, you're, conf you're confusing me with your weird wording in, in your question. No, no, no. And Eve was like, no, God said we could eat any tree, just not this one tree. And she kind of caught it, but then at the same time, it caused her to start down this path of questioning God, and, and, and it got her into trouble. God gave them a gift, but they twisted. It was twisted. God has given us the gift of sex. I think one person was ready to say Amen. <laughs> Come on, what kind of church is this? That's where you say, amen, I'm glad to be a Christian. He's given us the gift of sex so that when two people come together and they're married, they can just enjoy the gift of sex and marriage. It, God invented sex. So if you've been wondering like how cool God is, exhibit A. And when you enjoy sex the way that God designed it to be enjoyed, it's an amazing gift. I have never once experienced guilt or shame in the marriage bed, enjoying sex as a gift from God. But when you twist God's gifts, that's what Satan wants to do. He twists it. So he says, yeah, sex feels good, but, but you can do this and you can try that and you can do this. And, you, and then you start to take it outside of God's plan. And that's when all of that hurt and pain and shame and abuse and confusion comes into play. He twists what God has given. Or think about cre creation and how God's given us this beautiful creation and the mountains and the, and the desert and the ocean. And it's like, you just look at that stuff and you, you go, man, God is huge and he's big and he's so creative and we should enjoy it. But then Satan wants to twist creation and he gets people to worship trees and worship the ocean and worship rocks and worship lions and tigers and bears, oh my. He's twisting what God gave as a gift, or think about food. God gave us the gift of food. Amen, amen. And Satan, he twists that gift and he gets people to rely on food for comfort instead of the Holy Spirit for comfort. Or God gives us the gift of grace and Satan wants to twist this gift. It's a subtle twisting. 
He doesn't just do the opposite of what God says. God says, go right. Satan's not going to come in and say, go left, because we'll catch that. He'll say, go, go right-ish. <laughs> kind of right. That's mostly what God told you to do. But when it comes to salvation, there is no room for variation. That's why Satan's favorite vehicle for manipulation is Christianity. He wants to twist the gift of God's grace, and he loves to use Christianity to do it. He loves to use the language of Christianity to confuse people because it sounds almost right. He likes to use phrases that sound kind of like something that you heard once in Sunday school, but you haven't been to church in 20 years, and so you can't quite remember. He'll use things and teachings that sound like they kind of came from the Bible, but if you don't actually read the Bible, you won't catch the subtle manipulation, the twisting, and the perversion. You'll see that televangelist on TV selling holy water for $8.95, and you're like, I think that, that might work, Right? You've got to be watching for false teaching. False teaching creeps up in all sorts of ways, even inside what you might think of as the Christian universe, people that claim to be Christians. Now, here are some groups that have gotten caught up in false teaching, and it's caused problems. You think back with the Roman Catholic Church. They started in a good place, and then over time, these false teachings crept in to their way of thinking. Things that did not come from the Bible. Like, just for example, they teach that priests must be celibate. If that was true, I would not be here right now. I can just tell you that. That is not in the Bible. Amen and amen. <laughs> 500 years ago, the Pope was selling indulgences and you could buy for money an indulgence. And what that was, was here's what it would do. If, if you had a loved one that was in purgatory, you could help get them off early by buying an indulgence. Or if you were sinning and doing something that was wrong, you could buy an indulgence. And it was like a get out of jail free card. Like you don't even have to even feel bad about it. You just cheat on your wife, buy an indulgence for five bucks. And you're like, I'm good. Now, obviously, this is not biblical. There is nothing about purgatory in the Bible. It's just an idea that kind of came up. And because people could not read the Bible for themselves, they just fell for it. Of course, we know you can't just give $5, buy a certificate, and get yourself out of sin. God wants us to confess and truly repent of sin in our hearts on an ongoing basis. And that's really interesting to think about. This was all happening 500 years ago to the year. And Martin Luther came and started the Protestant Reformation. And you know what happened? You know what started that? People got their hands on the word of God and they started reading it for themselves. And then they were going, wait, this does not line up with what's in this book. And Martin Luther, he nailed his 95 thesis on the door of a Catholic church and said, this is a problem. You know that Martin Luther and the reformers, they said that Galatians is the cornerstone of the Reformation. He said that he loves Galatians. I think that's interesting. Here's another group. The Seventh-day Adventists, they talk about the Bible, they talk about Jesus, but they also teach that you should follow still the Old Testament law, just like the Judaizers that Paul was talking about. Joseph Smith, he talks about the Bible. He says, yes, that's a, a great book, but I've got another book. I've got a, a better book. And here's what he said, that he was out in the woods one day, and an angel named Moroni appeared to him and gave him 
a new gospel. What did Paul warn us about? Anyone appearing to you, even an angel from heaven, with a gospel other than what you've received from us? That's what he warned us about specifically. And, and this is so interesting because what Joseph Smith has in the Book of Mormon, it sounds a lot like what you'd find in the Bible. It's very similar. I'm going to read to you from the Book of Mormon so you can see this difference, okay? I don't endorse this, but I want you to see this. This is 2 Nephi. It's in the Book of Mormon in chapter 25. It says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. That sounds really good, doesn't it? It sounds good to believe in Christ, but even the demons believe in Christ. Here's what it says. Watch this. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved. How familiar does that sound? But what's this next part? After all we can do. How, how similar did that sound to Ephesians 2.8 that we just, raised, or we just read? By grace we are saved, and it is a gift from God. But this says, for by grace we are saved, after all we can do. If you talk to a Mormon missionary today and ask them to explain this to you, here's what they will explain. They will say, yeah, you're saved by grace as long as you do your part. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's a subtle twisting. That is a subtle perversion of the gospel. And here's what's funny. You ask them, well, how do you know when you've done your part? And they'll say, well, you don't. You just kind of have to hope for the best. <laughs> right? Like, where's the benchmark? When do I get to know I achieved salvation? How do I know I, I did my part and now I can earn the rest of the grace that I need to? It's ridiculous. And it clearly contradicts what's taught in the word of God. Paul warned anyone, even an angel preaching another gospel is cursed. I think Joseph Smith might have seen an angel in the woods, but it was not an angel from God. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So just because um, an angel shows up in your bedroom tonight, shining light, if they do not profess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all and that you can only be saved by faith in him, then that angel is not from God. And there is a spiritual realm. I don't know. You might be playing softball this week and angels show up in the outfield. And uh, you test that angel. You test. Or Jehovah's Witnesses. Here's another group. This is from their website, jw.org. Here's what it says. A lot of stuff that sounds like what the Bible says, but here, if you read... They say, so we do not worship Jesus as we do not believe that he is almighty God. And if you don't listen, if you don't look, you'll miss it. That's why I say as your pastor that you should read the Bible for yourself. Okay. It's not so that you can get a gold star to put on your calendar of superior Christian living in your kitchen. And be like, I did it again. I'm winning. When I go to church this week, it'll feel good like I did my part. I want you to be on guard. I want you to know the truth for yourself so that if anyone comes along and teaches you something that does not align with God's word, you will recognize it. And you have to be aware of the fact that your enemy, Satan, he is subtle, he is clever, and he will twist the truth just enough to cause you to miss what God has for you. And if you're not on guard, if you're not prepared, if you're not studied up, you might miss it. You might become vulnerable to that kind of false teaching. This was the case in the church for many, many years. There was a struggle 
of false teaching or false doctrine creeping into the church. And one of the groups was led by this guy named Arius around 300 AD. And he was teaching as a Christian pastor that Jesus was not actually God. That he came from God, that he was God's son, but he was not actually God. And so that was a problem. The Emperor Constantine got everyone together at Nicaea and said, you all need to figure this out. And so the overwhelming majority of these 300 pastors that came together, they said, Arius, you're way off. Let us show you with the Bible. That's what they did. They actually got their Bibles out and they were like, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. You're wrong. And so Arius and his three guys who pretty much followed him, they kind of held out. But the overwhelming majority of Christians, they adopted this statement, this statement called the Nicene Creed, which proclaims clearly the key doctrines of Christian faith. And I'm going to read to you. It says, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day, he rose again. According to the scriptures, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Amen. And that is important to understand the key doctrines that make up our faith, that we are saved by grace. It's through Jesus Christ, who is God, who came from the Father, and now we receive the Holy Spirit, who is God, and we live the life that he's called us to live. It says in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, that's you, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the word, the world. Now look at what it says, false prophets. Another way to understand that is lying preachers. That's what that means, essentially, in just plain language. Lying preachers. There are many lying preachers who have gone out into the world. And we as Christians, if I'm being honest, even though we've been saved, we kind of have this sick love affair with lying, abusive, manipulative preachers. Kind of like the woman who won't break up with her abusive boyfriend. Just cannot quite get herself to just leave and, and go away. See, what, the reason why is that because we still have a sinful nature that we struggle with, we so desperately long for man-made religion. 
we want in our sinful nature, even though we've been saved, we want to earn our salvation. We want to feel like we deserve it, especially guys, if I'm just being honest. We want to feel like we did it. And that's not how it works. But we'll eat it up when these preachers will come along. And this happens in churches, even in Christian churches sometimes. And it's very subtle. And you might miss this teaching. But they'll come and they'll start telling you, like, you don't really love God. You're not really saved. If you were, you would be doing this. You'd be praying five times a day. And you'd be reading your Bible. And you'd be coming to church every week and every day and every hour. And and they, they start heaping all this guilt trip on you and all this condemnation. Oh, you listen to that? Oh, you use that language? Oh, you're not really a Christian. Lying preachers who are bringing a corrupted gospel that is not a gospel of grace, which comes through the word of God. And we have got to look for that. we got to fight against that temptation. There's always a part of our sinful nature that will somehow be like, oh, I do want to earn it. I do want to feel like I've done my part. But that's not how we're saved, right? We got to break away from that Stockholm syndrome. You've heard of that where kidnap people fall in love with their kidnappers. That's what happens is when as Christians, we've been set free from the law and yet we find ourselves going back to the law. We want to put ourselves back under the law. And that is not what God has set us free to do, to go back to the law. We've got to look for that, fight against that, not removing ourselves from the God who has called us to grace, the God who has set us free. Why would we leave freedom to go back to slavery? If you're in that boat, if you found yourself living that kind of life, here's how you'll recognize it you'll recognize that maybe you walk around not feeling like you deserve God's love. You walk around feeling guilty for the things that you've done in your past. Even though you've come to church and you've prayed and you've accepted Jesus, you're still thinking about the things that you did, feeling guilty and like you're not worthy to worship God. You come into church. I know this is a fact. Some of you came into church today. You wanted to come. But deep down inside, you walk in the doors not feeling like you really deserve to be here or like you really belong. And you think inside that if anyone really knew, if anyone really knew what was going on in my life, they would not welcome me here. This is not the gospel of grace. This is the law which says that your actions and behavior can earn you God's love. This is not what Jesus has brought for us. There is no reason, once you have been saved, to go back to the chains, the slavery of the law. Some of us do this, though, but I want you to know that if you locked yourself up, you can set yourself free. And it comes by going back to the truth. And it says in John 8.32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you have to know the truth, that we are only saved by grace, not by our own works. Grace is a gift, and our works are to try to earn a reward. But we cannot earn what can only be received. Grace can only be received. You will never be able to earn it. You could never afford it. The price is too high. Your debt of sin was too great. And you have to understand what Jesus actually did is he bought your salvation with his death on the cross. This is a gift that you simply receive and you've got to recognize the difference. That's the truth. You have to recognize the truth so that you can be free. So you have to recognize the difference between works and grace works and grace works reminds me of what i have done 
all the past, the baggage, the guilt, but grace reminds me of what Jesus has done, that his death on the cross and his blood, it washed away my sins and it made me right with God and that through him, I'm forgiven, I'm justified, I have received God's favor. Works gets me focused on what I'm doing and you'll never feel like you measure up. You'll never feel like you've done enough. But grace gets me focused on what the Father is doing. And when you focus on what He is doing and you understand you're saved by grace, rather than spending all that time trying to earn God's love, you can do something fruitful with your time like reaching out to other people and inviting them into this good news. Works gets me relying on my power and grace will cause me to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And this will lead to an entirely different way of thinking. With works thinking, I'll be prideful and focused on my own achievements, but then what will happen is you'll end up feeling depressed, not qualified and weak. But if you're thinking in terms of grace, if you've embraced grace, then you will not walk in pride, you'll walk in confidence, knowing that God has chosen you and saved you and equipped you. When you're living a works-based life, you'll be self-righteous, You'll be proud thinking that you know, you've, you've somehow achieved or you've earned and it's because you don't watch certain things or talk a certain way. But when you live in grace, you rely on the righteousness of Jesus, which he has earned and he has imputed into you. You know, I have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ and I have not earned it, but Christ has given it to me. And what that means is that when God the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in you. And it is not changed by what happens this Tuesday. He still sees Jesus in, in you and his righteousness. When we rely on ourselves, when we try to work to earn our salvation, we will always come up short and you'll find yourself thinking, I can't do this. I cannot do this. But grace will cause us to rely on God. And though I can do this through Christ who strengthens me, I need him to survive and he will not abandon me. Works will bring you into slavery, but grace will set you free. Why would you abandon freedom to go back to slavery? We've got to stop thinking like slaves and start thinking like sons sons and daughters of the king, right? Slaves walk around thinking, I don't have the authority to do that. But sons walk around knowing I have an inheritance. My father loves me. I can do whatever I want because he loves me, right? He has set me free and I'm walking in his grace. I'm going where he has called me to go. We are not free because we do, we're free too. That's an entirely different way of thinking. It's the difference between works and grace. Works will cause you to think you have to do certain things. We're not free because we do go to church. We're free to go to church and worship the Lord. We're not free because we do serve. We're free to serve. We're not free because we do sing. We're free to sing and worship God since we've been redeemed. We're not free because we do give in the offering. We're free to give in the offering. We, we, were, we wouldn't do it before. We were too selfish and greedy, but now we're free to do it. We're not free because we do love our neighbor. We're free to love our neighbor because God's given us a different way of thinking. We're not free because we do live righteous. We're free to live righteous. God has given us the ability to live righteously. The Holy Spirit allows us to resist sin. We're not free because we do. We're free to live the life of freedom that God has given us through his grace that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
I'm grateful for that freedom. Would you guys bow your heads this morning? We wanna take a moment and if you're here and you'd say, I need to accept this gift. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while, but you've never honestly understood the difference between works and grace. Maybe Satan has caused you to be trapped, trying to earn God's love, feeling inadequate, feeling guilty. And now you understand that through Jesus, because of his free gift, you can truly understand peace you can receive forgiveness. You can actually be a child of God rather than an enemy of God. And a child of God is favored. If you wanna take that step this morning, I wanna just give you a moment to do that. And the Bible says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you accept this gospel of grace, you will receive the gift that God has for you. And I wanna ask you to pray this prayer with me. If, if you've never accepted that gift, it's not a magic prayer, but it just expresses what's in your heart. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned and I deserve your punishment, but I believe that Jesus paid my debt on the cross. I believe that he made it possible for me to be forgiven through grace. And I accept this gift of forgiveness. I, re I realize and believe that Jesus rose again from the grave on the third day and I know that he has achieved victory on my behalf and I claim that victory through Jesus. And I wanna follow you and I wanna live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we wanna celebrate with you and I'm gonna invite you just to be proud of that and celebrate and just shoot your hand up on the count of three. If you prayed that prayer this morning, one, today is your day, two, God loves you. We wanna celebrate with you, three, just shoot it up. That's awesome. That's so great. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet and we're gonna take communion together. And communion is an opportunity for us to remember